Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today, I have Dr. Vladimir Yurokov. He's a clinical pharmacist at Sutter Health and a graduate from the University of Illinois at Chicago. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Yurikoff. Thank you, Eric, for having me. You know, I actually wanted to get you on here because you have achieved something that even I hadn't heard of a whole lot. And apparently, if you looked at LinkedIn, a lot of others hadn't either. Uh, you recently shared that you have a special pharmacist license in California, which was the Advanced Practice Pharmacist. Can you explain just what this is for the listeners? Correct, Eric. Yeah. So I was also pleasantly surprised where a lot of my colleagues and connections on LinkedIn con- contacted me and asked me about this advanced practice license for pharmacists, which is available in the state of California and a few other states. So basically, this is a license issued by the Board of Pharmacy in California, which provides the um, uh, pharmacist with the capability of practicing on the top of their licenses. They are able to furnish medications, initiate, monitor, and adjust pharmacotherapies um, with or without a physician's order, depending on the practice setting. So it is, in a way, um, a step closer to the pharmacists being recognized as providers and practice independently in the setting of the healthcare in the United States. So how did this start? Like it's always, I get, a lot of stuff tends to start with pharmacy for whatever is in California, but like, was it a need? Was it because they just kind of wanted to do this and be different because of California? Like how did this kind of start? Yes. So this is a good question. And California, as we all know, is one of the most progressive uh, states in terms of healthcare uh, and other um current issues. So to that end, um, the unmet need for um, more healthcare providers that help with uh, the patient overload started this license. In 2013, the Senate um, passed a law which uh, allowed the pharmacist to practice under the advanced practice uh, pharmacy license. It is a separate license from your pharmacist license, which you get after graduating from accredited pharmacy school. So since 2016, when the first licenses were start uh, being issued, about 150 licenses were issued. I don't know the current number, but it has grown Last year, there were not that many because of COVID and the backlog of the applications. Also, pharmacists need to meet stringent requirements before they issued this license. So to answer your question, there is unmet need for pharmacists to uh, be involved with the patient care. And that's what initiated this uh, advanced practice pharmacy licensing. Yeah, and I guess that makes sense because I think we even saw the doctorate of pharmacy or PharmD start in California as like a mandate. So it kind of makes sense when you look at just where they tend to push people for the education requirements and things like that. You mentioned a few other states have it. What other states have this? So to my knowledge, uh, other states have similar uh, advanced practice um, uh, licenses and those are Montana, North Carolina, and New Mexico. Um 
there is also other states that have certain uh, advanced privileges for pharmacists, uh, such as furnishing naloxone, um, issuing uh, contraceptives, uh, and um, uh, smoking cessation uh, medications. So there is uh, a lot more uh, states that recognize that uh, functionality of the pharmacist, but only four states currently have this advanced practice uh, license. Gotcha. And, you know, when it comes to something like this, I know a lot of people are obviously familiar with like BCPS or, you know, the ambulatory care uh, board certifications and things like that. What is different with this compared to those nationally recognized credentials? And then like, what does it take to earn this? Good question, Eric. Yes. So a lot of pharmacists go to um, kind of advance their skills by signing up for uh, advanced certification programs such as BCPS or BCCP or certificates um, offered uh, in other areas such as infectious diseases or diabetes management. The difference between those uh, certification uh, and uh, advanced practice license is that this is a license. So it is issued by the Board of Pharmacy and then you can practice under it. So you are issued this a license the same way that you are issued your pharmacy license when you graduate pharmacy school. It's just the scope of practice is expanded so that you can refer patients to other providers or they can be referred to you by other providers. You can also start uh, therapies. You can adjust medications such as blood pressure medication, any other acute care, um, uh, I'm sorry, any other um, chronic medications such as diabetes, hypertension, and hyperlipidemia. Yeah, so it's really a good step up. It's almost kind of like building in that collaborative practice agreement, if you will. Is that kind of correct in saying that? Absolutely, yes. So there are several clinics that uh, function in California as well as North Carolina and the other states that mentioned earlier, where pharmacists would basically see patients on their own. They will have appointments with them, such as the ones that we get with our doctor. Say you are diagnosed with hypertension. Um, so your doctor cannot see you in the next two weeks. Usually when we discharge uh, patients from the hospital, we want them to follow up with their primary care doctor within two weeks period. With COVID, this waiting time has extended to a, up to a month or so. So some of those clinics have um, such setup that you can come in within a week or two after your discharge and we can work on adjusting your medications or keeping them the same if they're working the way uh, we like them to work. Also, we can provide refills. We can increase the doses, decrease the doses. We can provide some supplies for you. We can order tests. So it is um, the closest we've gotten to uh, functioning as an independent provider in the healthcare as pharmacists. You know, I think that's really key because as where I'm currently practicing at or being acting as pharmacy director at, we've been looking at things like this. And that is a huge issue with these hospital discharges is a lot of times it's basically just a med rec. Are you stable? Can we get some quick lab work, something like that? And then, hey, like, are you good? Can Should we tweak this a little bit or leave it the same? And, you know, we've been relied on now to start doing some of these hospital discharge for psych patients because a lot of times it's it's like a med rack of what they're doing and just kind of, hey, what are you on? What are you stable on? Let's look at your past history notes, things like that. 
And our providers really love it because we help decrease their backlog, which kind of frees them up to see more patients who are either more urgent or need a new diagnosis or really having problems with, like, with what they're taking. Whereas a lot of what we're doing is, I don't want to say triaging, but just, okay, let's go through this. Let's make sure it makes sense. And then if there is a major problem, obviously, that we think is out of our scope, we're kind of like punting it to them of, hey, this might need to be a little more urgent. But we can go back and see the notes, follow up, and things like that. And it's been pretty successful so far, knock on wood. But you know, it's one of those things that they really like because for them, like this is just a, med- a, a medication reconciliation with a little bit of follow-up. And since we have a residency program built in, it's like a perfect way to kind of help kind of build that advanced practice in there for the pharmacist. And it's really cool because they just they actually, the providers actually like it because we're taking something off their plates and something that's really right in our wheelhouse, like you said, to the top of our education. So I like that there's some places that are putting this advanced practice stuff in there because it is kind of the way that I think pharmacy practice is going. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, yeah. I can't agree with you more. You know, this is another recognition for the pharmacist, basically by the law that here we are, we already know that pharmacists are capable of doing all these things, but why are they not doing it? Is it the law that's not allowing it? Obviously in California, this has changed, but it's also a change of mindsets when mm-hmm. we initiate any new type of uh, healthcare providers. And that has started, you know, in about 10 years or so with the nurse practitioners, uh, with any other advanced practice licenses where they recognize that a lot of the triage and less acute cases could be handled by nurse practitioners in the unit clinics or any other urgent care settings. So I think, and it's my opinion, that pharmacy kind of lagged behind in that respect that we open a lot of nurse practitioner schools, uh, but pharmacy school has not, for example, marketed its graduates in a way that they are actually providers and they can, you know, function independently or within uh, the scope of cooperative practice agreement with any clinic or a hospital. So I believe we've done a lot uh, to advance our profession, uh, but a lot needs to be done too so that we can practice at par with the nurse practitioners and any other advanced uh, practitioners in the healthcare. You know, and I think a lot of it too is we've been kind of just stuck in that dispensing role or dispensing mindset for so long because it was profitable. And now we're really seeing where that is not going profitable. And you're seeing business models try to change, try and challenge that, do other things, increase the ratio of prescriptions that pharmacists are filling or what have you to try and make it more profitable. And also, we just have so many stinking laws when it comes to pharmacy. Not that other professions don't, but we are super regulated for the small scope that we do have. And there's just so many hurdles and for lack of a better term, the alphabet boys we have to deal with, whether it's, you know, like the DEA or anything with tobacco or Sudafed controls or what, you know, whatever thing you can think of. Right. And so we're stuck on so many just like logistical legal hurdles or just so many legal hurdles that we're just stuck with as a profession having to deal with, at least in so many of the settings that we're used to. And we're, we kind of got comfortable in that correcting others instead of actually, stepping up to fix the problem and just kind of kicking it back to them or punting it. Is that kind of the way you're seeing that? Absolutely. Yeah, uh, Eric, absolutely. This is one of the issues that we are struggling as a profession and this dogma that pharmacists are good up to the point where the med is verified and then we kind of wave our hands and say (laughs) from this moment is diagnosis 
the patient goes home and then they need to uh, contact their doctor if anything goes wrong. Well, the issue with that is, first of all, the healthcare is already overburdened and then patients don't follow up. Uh, one of, there is many studies that have included pharmacists uh, within the uh, follow-up period after the care is provided where outcomes have shown to be extremely positive. I can name few diabetes management when pharmacists gave a call 48 hours to um, three days after discharge to manage these diabetes medications the outcomes were a lot better and the a1c were within the limits by the ada guidelines when pharmacists were involved um, and that is kind of what the state of california has started also with psych medications in the ed restarting some of the psychiatric medications in the ed without waiting for a doctor uh, order has improved the outcomes for those patients and overall has reduced costs, has reduced hospitalization. I mean, one hospitalization ranges from, you know, several hundred dollars, 10 to $20,000. If it is just for, you know, managing hypertension or diabetes or some psychiatric medication that haven't been restarted, that is how we market ourselves as value, creating value, as opposed to being consumers of resources such as salaries and other supplies, how we are generally perceived in the hospital setting and in other healthcare uh, settings. So I think this license opens up the doors for many of those already established ways that pharmacists are useful and create product and create value to the healthcare so that we can actually start utilizing them and get the needed recognition by the other providers. You know, and one of the things with that too is that there's going to be, if it, well, there already is a provider shortage when you talk about nurse practitioners and MDs and other, you know, midwives, what have you. But when you look at that, their, their practice is when you predicted to have an even bigger shortage whereas pharmacy is predicted to actually decrease, which is one of the weird ones in healthcare. We're actually seeing like a decrease in demand. So if you look at those and you say one's going this way and the other one's going the other way, but this one has a very similar education, how do we utilize that? Well, if you need more people to make a full scope diagnosis, order labs, do the run test, what have you, great. Nurse practitioners, MDs, I'm not going to say you can keep all of that, but you know that's right in your wheelhouse. Perfect, good, you were trained for that. But a lot of these follow-up visits are, hey, here's a diagnosis. Are you having any new issues? How's the medication working for you? Let's check some basic labs, blood pressure, blood sugar, what have you. And then do we need to keep the same or do we need to tweak it a little bit? And then you're just adjusting medications. Well, if everyone admits that we're the medication expert, then why aren't we doing that? And that just kind of seems to fit perfect in with this advanced practice pharmacist license in California. Absolutely. And it's one of my pet peeves, you know, ever since I was a, a student, you know, and I practiced at UIC with one of the clinics where, you know, we adjusted hep C medications for very expensive medications mm -hmm. and looked at the appropriateness of this medication. So um, definitely it makes all the sense for the pharmacist to be involved, at least in this phase of adjusting or um, changing the medications and allowing for the MDs and other advanced practitioners to be concentrated on the diagnosis, on the differentiation between the different nuances of the disease state. So um, we are spending very little time as students in pharmacy school 
learning how to dispense medication. And we spend all these endless hours to learn about the medicine, about the pharmacodynamics, about the pharmacokinetics, uh, and then also the disease states, how they're diagnosed, to be put in a position after graduation where we need to actually relearn the skills about dispensing and then forget a lot of the things we learned for the medications. Yeah, and it's it's pretty funny too. You say that because I, I've witnessed that daily with where I worked previously. That you know, where I don't want to say stigma or dogma we're fighting against, but like you said, just trying to show people like, hey, we do have a value. Hey, we can take this off your plate. Hey, we can allow you to do other things that may be more important, important or allow you to practice the top of your education instead of just check this, check this, refill out the door. You know, a little more rewarding with what you're doing with actually trying to improve access to care help connect people with what they need, things like that. So I think that's great. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I had another role before I uh, became clinical pharmacist at Sutter Health, which was as assistant professor at a pharmacy school. And I can tell you that uh, it starts also with the education because a lot of the students that come on my rotations in the hospital, they lack that type of understanding that they're actually doctors of pharmacy and providers. <laughs> That's why I started to introduce myself to my patients as, hello, I am Dr. Yurukov. I'm the doctor of pharmacist managing your medications because I want the patients also to recognize that. And it's not about an ego. It's about what I can do for you. I want you to be open to me so that I can do the best I love to my abilities to help you with your pharmacotherapies. You know, I'm always torn on this, and maybe it's just my Midwestern, more humble nature, but it's like, I don't really care if people call me doctor, but maybe I should start more just so you can, I hate to say maybe if you demand the respect, you'll get it, because I think that can also backfire, but it's just a good point you bring up there of like, hey, you know, what what is the fine line we walk, or what is actually better so we can be recognized for what we can actually do? You know, it's not really, I'm not really asking anything crazy, I'm just asking to be recognized for like what we've earned in this case. Absolutely. And I have friends, you know, in pharmacy school who actually after their pharmacy degree, they went on to become MDs. And then when I speak with them, they speak highly of their PharmD degrees and they consider themselves doctor, both doctors, you know, of mm -hmm. pharmacy medicine. So this is, I don't think it's overstepping already earned credential to call yourself a doctor of pharmacy at any opportunity. It is just us being proud and um, demanding this from the other uh, clinicians' recognition. Yeah, and for listeners, if you want to go back to hear somebody that reinforces that, uh, as I like to call him, Dr. Dr. Jared Stroud on one of my earlier episodes, and uh, Dr. No, Dr. Richard Harris also were people who were pharmacy doctorates first and then went and got their MDs, and both really do hold in the high respect that pharmacy part, and even said that medical school was probably easier than pharmacy school for him. So I think that's that's always really funny. Um, Very do you think that if more states need to do this and or add some sort of advanced practice pharmacy licensure, if pharmacists want to be recognized as healthcare providers, particularly by CMS and some of the centers for Medicaid and Medicare? Absolutely. I think it's just the right path that we need to get on. And I would encourage anyone that is involved with legislation uh, or has any kind of pull for that to advocate that because no matter um, how how few of those practices exist within the state. If there's more states, more will exist, and then we'll establish ourselves as providers. So that can be kind of the the leading 
um, to more practicing opening in states. And there is plenty of states, such as Wyoming, such as Montana, where it is um, a lot of distance between the healthcare centers. So I am sure there's plenty of pharmacists that would be happy to establish practice in between that and help managing some of these disease states for that many patients that it would be thankful. So I don't see any downside to encouraging more states to adopt that and then having the uh, CMC recognizing them as providers and perhaps pay for their services. You know, and one of the funny things, too, about that is, is you look at those states and you can see on a map the physical distance. But even in some of the cities you're talking about, like in California, they're just big big cities like Los Angeles or not that Cleveland is that big where I live, but it's still a big enough city that people going, you know, several blocks or maybe over just one zip code to like the nearest uh, provider's office or physician, nurse practitioner's office can be burdensome. But if they have a pharmacist or a pharmacist run clinic or a pharmacy that's close to them, that's an access of care point, which brings me to my next kind of point here. Is this something that you think would split the profession further because maybe community pharmacists couldn't get it when you're talking about like the CVS or the Walgreens? Or do you think this is something that they can kind of, that it should be opened up to them if they're able to prove that they have the knowledge and the skills for this advanced practice pharmacist? Absolutely. I have huge respect for the community pharmacists. I mean, they have put through so much uh, day in and day out. Uh, And there is, in California, there is no um, clause that prevents community pharmacists from obtaining this license. It is how eager they are uh, to obtain that license. So even though if they didn't uh, go uh, to complete a uh, PGY-1 or PGY-2, uh, there's still other um, criteria that they can meet to obtain this license, such as they need to practice under cooperative agreement for about 1,500 hours. They need to have a valid uh, license in the state in which this license is offered. Uh, and then there is a very clear uh, requirements and criteria by which they can obtain this license. I think one of the issues with that is that how eager those pharmacists would be to obtain that license because it takes a little bit of work. Even with me on the inpatient side, it took a little while to obtain that license, but I know that this is worth uh, of my time since the future for dispensing pharmacy is almost doomed. We know that this will be automated in about 10 years or so. So how are we going to market ourselves so that we are indispensable in a way uh, and provide extra services? I don't believe that uh, we can just be satisfied with the dispensing part of pharmacy. We need to push for more. And this license is available to anyone that like to obtain it. You just need to meet the requirements. But one of the dogmas in pharmacy is that the dispensing part and nothing else. So I just encourage everyone in the community to just pursue that type of uh, advanced licenses, even if it is the BCPS first, and then they can go on to get the APH. You know, I think it's interesting you say that because I think that actually pharmacists holding on to dispensing is huge because of a 
a few reasons, patient safety, legality, any other number of things. Although I do see what you're saying with the way things are being automated in general. And heck, even in his uh, presidential campaign, Andrew Yang called out pharmacists that you'd be automated away, which I think showed his little bit of lack of understanding with what we do, but also does bring up a very good point as well when we're talking about things being automated away. And I, I do think that it's it's really interesting that you say that because there's so much that we do know but people, it's just the personality of pharmacists is just different. And I think being a little more that was it, ISTFJ or whatever the heck that little you know score is that we get. And yes. we're just, we're not those people who we know our stuff, but we're not going to be the ones outlandishly out there beating our chest and thumping what we can do to people. But we almost need to at this point to show what we're worth. And then heck, even at the dispensing role, maybe we'll get paid more because they want us to have interactions and just document that you had that interaction, especially when it comes to something like smoking cessation or it comes to, you know, diabetes or whatever it is, right? Maybe they'll start compensating us more because they realize, oh, wait, you do have a value. We just need to make sure you have the time to do that too. And I think that's where something like this could really hop in. If you started seeing somebody who's at your big chain pharmacy dispensing, who's got a degree like this, they can start then vouching and saying, hey, look, I have this, I can earn this, I can prove this. And then with some proper documentation, which our profession is notoriously horrible at doing, and I will take full ownership of that myself, that is kind of where we can sh- prove our value, prove our worth, and prove everything. And then we can start getting reimbursed for that service on top of whatever it costs for the medication. I swear we're the only people in the world who will willingly give people something at a net loss and then not be compensated for our service and do it multiple times a day. But this is a case where maybe if at least we have that cost covered plus a little bit, then we can be compensated for the education we used around it. I mean, just look at a mechanic, right? You complain about how much it costs to go to the car mechanic, but you also can't fix it yourself. So you needed the parts plus you needed their knowledge. I don't see this being any differently except not a car, but somebody's actual body and healthcare. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the things that you mentioned are so true and I can't agree more with that, that, uh, you know, it comes with some sort of um, payment, but also we have to consider ourselves in a way providers who could be even pay cash. So, mm-hmm. The same analogy that you brought with the mechanic, if there is a mechanic that is not going to be covered by your car insurance, you know, but you really trust their skills in the past, you've gone to them and they fixed your car and then you haven't needed to go to the mechanic that often and use that insurance and pay pay that high deductible. I, to be honest with you, I'm very thrifty. I would prefer to go to that other mechanic in a way that pharmacists who might be practicing under their pharmacy advanced uh, practice license and provide services for cash. So healthcare is changing. It is definitely driven by the monetary uh, side as well. So establishing ourselves in a way that uh, we are trusted by the patient is the key. And I know that because during the hospital stay, the patients will ask for me to come and see him if there's any kind of question about the medications and the doctors will refer to me. They'll be like, oh, that's a that's a question for Vladimir. This is a question for pharmacists. He would help you. He would adjust this for you. He would guide you. And I also help with a lot of transitions of care where I call a community pharmacist to ensure that the medications are in hand when the patients go home. So we've already have established ourselves in the chain of providing the services for the patient. We just need to also 
kind of step out of that chain and then establish ourselves as independent entities. Yeah, I could not agree with that more. And I think that's a great way we can uh, lead this into some of the questions I ask every guest who comes on here. Cause I think, I think I know where you're going to go with these, but I could be interesting. <laughs> could be interesting. I can tell you I'm predictable. You can <laughs> It's that uh, that teacher part in you from pharmacy school, I swear. Oh, I'm so passionate <laughs> about teaching at pharmacy, so um, <laughs> I appreciate you inviting me here, yes. All right. If you, could, uh, if you could change one thing about pharmacy that isn't a law, what would it be? I think, and then we just spoke about it, so right you know, in time, it's about the passion of every single pharmacist. You know, when they step through the door, they should be feeling well, you know, about what they do. And I know it is tough for some of those pharmacies there. So working on initiatives such as the advanced practice of pharmacy license to open up more avenues for pharmacists to practice on the top of their license is what makes me super excited and happy and then actually encourage about the future of the pharmacist. So I want to see more passion, more initiative, entrepreneurship of every pharmacist that um, I need, for example. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think we need more people out there being vocal advocates for our own profession because you can do that and be a vocal advocate for the patient at the same time and then everybody wins is kind of the way I see it. So if you could change one law in pharmacy, federal or state, because I don't know all your California laws out there, what would it be and why? I mean, it is, again, going back to this advanced practice uh, pharmacy license, it is the provider status. I know that there is kind of a conflicting ideas about whether we should be pushing for this provider status. Absolutely, 100%. We are already a patient advocate 100% of the time. And we should be recognized as one and also paid for those services this, that we provide by the patient. So on a federal and then state level, we should have this recognition and this ability to practice what we actually went to school for. Yeah, I do think it's so funny that you hit that on that earlier about how how many hours and thousands of hours we spend in pharmacy school just investing in doing the guidelines, knowing this, knowing you know first generation versus second generation antipsychotics, which ones have weight gain risks or you know whatever the heck you wanna throw in there that we, we learn about. But how much time do we actually spend learning about dispensing? And then, like, look what we actually do. Like, it's it's kind of funny, and it's kind of messed up when you think about it at the same time. Absolutely, so. yes. Awesome. It is like such an odd thing, but I feel like, you know, opinions are changing, and with more pharmacists like myself pushing for this recognition and even, you know, when I sign my notes, you know, my APH is always on there. Providers see it, they recognize it, they've asked me a few times, uh, and they're super happy for me. We just need this to come from the grassroots, and then we can push for that uh, legislation to come through. I'm going to have to follow your lead there and start adding all of my other credentials after my name with pharmacy, like you see <laughs> like you see nurses and doctors or physicians do, just so that people are like, do a double take when they see how many letters are after my name and maybe have a little more respect for what pharmacists do. <laughs> We should be proud of our accomplishment and hard work. I have no shame about that. Yeah, yes, it, it definitely was a lot of hard work. I will say that for certain. So, hey, uh, Dr. Yurikov, thanks for coming on here. I appreciate it. Where can people reach out or find you if they want to learn more about this? I'm very approachable uh, on LinkedIn. I respond to any request to connect with me. 
currently I'm on LinkedIn and uh, on Twitter. Okay. Yeah, LinkedIn, you can just look them up. Uh, I'll put a link to both of those in uh, the show notes. So if you want to connect with them there, that's a good way. But anyway, thanks for coming on the podcast, Dr. Yurukov. And thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics. <laughs>